the product that you first roll out, your alpha product is never the product that, that I've seen that ends up being the product that starts scaling, right? And so the businesses go through different growth stages and spurts and need different guardians to shepherd them through those stages. And so when you're early on, it makes sense for you, you know, the founder, because they, they, they got to get the idea to market and prove product market fit. But at some point between that and the growth, that's where you need to really do a self-assessment and see what is your core skill set and what do you like to do? <laughs> what motivates you and where do you want to spend your time? The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to the dirt. Hey everyone, a little precursor to this episode. Here at The Dirt, we live true to our values, working through the inevitable obstacles that come our way. Specifically, for this episode, we ran into some audio issues on our end that resulted in my questions coming through in a low volume. The good news is that the most important part of the episode, Trevor's insights and story, are crystal clear. With that said, thank you for understanding, and it's time to get dirty. With over 20 years of entrepreneurial experience, this guest has done a little bit of everything, from starting the first online catalog in the cabinet industry to building out more than 100 enterprise-level web apps. He has the experience and battle scars that come from traveling the founder journey. When he's not building tech companies, you'll find this adrenaline junkie traveling the world, experiencing life as all of us should. His most recent excursion in Alaska, catching a 178-pound halibut, which wasn't even his biggest. Today, we're going to dive a little into that, but mostly into product and ops, from product evolution to product pricing, product contracts, and even when to bring someone else in as CEO. Give a big dirt welcome to Trav Trevor Grace, founder of DBA Platform. Hey Jim, thanks for having me. Happy to be here and looking forward to this chat for a while. Yeah, man, it's been a been a while. You've been traveling the world, which is never a bad place to be in building companies, which is even better. So, what's the best place for us to start? I figure it might be at the roots of your of your founder story back to buycabinets.com. Would that be a good place? We can absolutely start there. Quite a while ago, that's that's back in the late 90s when Google first started and uh, back of the days where you could create a website and put kitchen cabinets on the same page, you know, 500 times and within seven minutes be ranked number one in, in the Google search engine. Yeah, that's where it all sort of started just tinkering around and playing with the internet as, as it was emerging. Yeah, that's where it all sort of started and just fumbling my way through the internet and, and seeing the impact as they as it was being adopted by by consumers and how powerful communication is. And it's where I sort of cut my teeth in fully understanding the power of power of the internet. Golden days, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh what's what's funny about those days is is the although Google has the, the technology has changed, their their mission and their goal, the fundamental truth is 
of, of what they do hasn't changed at all. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like Google's, Google's job is to like, you know, try to identify whatever their, that user search query is, give them the most relevant content that they're looking for. And that hasn't changed since the nineties, right? Like they've just been on this mission to like solve that problem. And, and there it would, and as long as you, you remember that, like, that's all they care about. It gives you a, uh, yeah, I think that's my unique perspective on them. Like it, all the flashy stuff they do at the end of the day, that's what their product does. It serves the customer. And, and I think that's the most important thing in, in business that gets overlooked. It's, it's just the basics, you know, the KYC, know your customer. And as long as you're, <laughs> you stay on that track, you'll, you'll be able to con- accomplish great things. So back then when you were, you know, disrupting the cabinet industry, you will. And now at DBA, where you're in like a really tight partnership with Google, what, what, what else have you, I mean, you've been basically a partner of them for two decades. Yeah. In, in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, you know, again, there's so many things I can talk about with Google, but they, they want to make sure that the, 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 the physical world matches the digital world. And you can either uh, just understand that and try to build business and products around what they're trying to do, or you can try to, you know, hack their system and hack it. And, you know, there's a lot of business to be made that way too, but I sort of went the other route of like, Hey, being close to them and understanding that, that they, they dominate and own the world's information. And so just having that, you know, um, belief that if I can stay close to them and, and make a product that, that helps accomplish what their goals are. There's going to be a lot of legs on that and any product I build. So, yeah. What are some of the things that you built in, in between DBA and back? Oh, days? gosh. It's, there's been lots of from, from loyalty app programs to maintenance softwares to digital asset management applications, different sort of marketplaces, you know, tried, tried all those, all the different niche things you can think of. Um, at one point I, I probably tried it or helped out, you know, at different companies trying, trying their, their little niche. And that's, what's so cool about what we do. Um, technology changes, you blink in, in 12 months, it's completely different, but that's why I was saying the fundamentals of, of what Google's trying to do never changes, you know, their, their, their applications and their platforms and their interfaces and all that might change, but hmm, what they're, what they're trying to accomplish never changes. Yeah. Yeah. They're just a juggernaut. <laughs> they are. They are. And it's, but, but it's great. Yeah. It, it, it creates a platform for a lot of innovation. Right. And, and so I think search, right? Like, and that's where it starts. People want to find information. And unlike social, which there's a lot of great media and content out there. But when it comes to search and, and people uh, wanting to know about anything and everything that crosses their minds, <laughs> you know, Google is, it's, it's where people go. Yeah, it's a beautiful world we live in. This, this, this evolution of your relationship with Google and, and just building businesses. Now you're at DBA Platform, or you founded DBA Platform, um, where you guys are creating a really strong relationship between brand and retailer, which is um, ever, ever important, but um, something that you guys have built a really nice business around. Talk to me a little bit about what that is, how that came to be, and yeah, we were hyper focused in the Google My Business property and optimizing that. That so so if you don't know what that is, it's if you do a search and you see the 
you know, you search like Yeti cooler near me as an example, you're going to see the, the search results will show ads and then you scroll down a little bit and then you'll see the maps pack, right? So that map pack is, is what Google calls, well, they just recently changed it to Google business profile. So if you're a local bit, you have to be a local business to, to get one of those profiles. You can't be e-commerce or any of that. So that's sort of the property that we were working with. And I realized like about four or five years ago, some of the big boys like Walmart, they had on their profiles, they had this little widget called see what's in store. And it was an inventory module. And I was like, what the heck is this thing? This is really, I've never even heard about it. So I found that that was Google's alpha product to help take inventory of a local retailer and surface it online. So the near me searches have been exploding. People's intent to want to buy stuff locally and want to know what's in locally is, is like 46% of all searches now. People have that local intent. It's crazy. And so five years ago, when I saw that, we started digging in and understanding what it is we would need to do to, to empower that experience for, for all retailers. And then when COVID hit and the toilet paper crisis came about where nobody could find toilet paper, it's when it's right about the time when Google really leaned in and said, Hey, is there any partners out there that we can, we can find that are, that are, can solve the, help us solve this problem. And then that's when I met, uh, Chris Lytle, he was the head of global shopping over there. Um, and his job was to stand that up and work with partners to help empower that experience. And so that's how I, that's how, you know, we sort of got into that space of helping retailers get their inventory online. And the most powerful part about that is like basically every single item in your store, if you're a retail owner, gets indexed by Google. And so what that means is that it's searchable right within google.com. So whether it's a Yeti cooler 85, so a specific brand or category of a product or a model number or product, Google's going to surface that for you. And so I think over the time, you're going to see this is how Google's going to combat Amazon because they're going to turn every single one of their retailers into a distribution center. And when you have apps like Uber and Lyft and Shipped and all of these delivery services now, you're going to start seeing connections in those delivery services where you can get any local product delivered the same way you order food, right? Within minutes. So, so that's sort of what the, the, the space that we're in and, and, and it was COVID that actually like toilet, the toilet paper crisis, that sort of right place, right time, right product and the right experience that we were able to sort of capitalize on that. And, and we've been growing ever since. So really it's from cabinets to toilet paper. <laughs> from cabinets to toilet paper. <laughs> couple things I want to dig into. So did you say 46% of all searches are done with the intent at the local level? They, they now include a local intent. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it, it, it's crazy. And that just for con- consumer good intent or literally any any search at all? It, it, any search at all has that that local intent. That's the percentage of local intent. That's how, how and, and really it's a couple things, right? It's the adoption of the cell phone and, and the consumer behavior now. That when, you know, the, the, if you think about the behaviors in the nineties, everyone had desktops. And so it was at, at home sort of research project. And then you would go somewhere. Well, now because information is so, so at our fingertips, while we're driving where we're going, we're researching what's around where I'm going, like multiple, multiple times. Right. So like, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's the mobile devices and it's COVID. And cause when COVID hit, you saw commerce, although Amazon did great. But people needed to buy, there were certain stuff you couldn't buy on Amazon. And so 
we saw that, that how, how important it was for local economy and local businesses to support, you know, the, the population. So, so I think it's those two things, the adoption of mobile devices and just the web experience and then the, the user behavior of like not having, having to do their research at home, but doing their research while they're on the go, while they're doing other things has led to this super increase in the near me stuff. Yeah. The other thing I want to dig into is you mentioned, and I think one of the things that is really hard for founders to do is, is bring deciding when and understanding how to bring in somebody else as the CEO and what the experience feels like and that, you know, what, what the founder journey is that equates to that, if you will. And Chris was the one that you pegged to, to come in and, and the CEO. And that was one of your partners, correct? Yeah, I, it, you know, it wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't something I had planned on, but you know, I, because I've done several other ventures before, it wasn't my first one. I think that I was at a place in my life where um, my understanding of what I'm good at and what my core competency is, and just understanding that the business is not my identity, the business is its own identity. And so as a founder, we have a responsibility to make decisions that's best for those businesses. I was really looking, as most founders do, they wear multiple hats. I was just really looking for how do we take this super complicated thing that nobody knows about and just working. The timing came up to where Chris had mentioned that he was looking to do something else, like leave Google. He's been there for a long time, so he's, he's potentially looking to to try something else. And I and I was like, well, dude, let's you know more about this space. Would you be interested in coming over here and just meeting him and talking with him? I mean, he, he had all the, the credentials, come, came from the startup space, knows what it's like to be a founder. He's, his ex-business actually got acquired by Google. That's how he ended up there. So, so he had all the qualities to, to be the leader of, of this thing and, and the relationships, right? And so it allowed me then to shift and focus on the product because when you're building technology, it's hard to, to do all the things as a CEO should do and be in the weeds of, of what the product needs to do. So you sort of got to pick your lane and to, to get your full attention, right? Like at, at some point you have to be able to, to fully invest in what you're doing. So for this particular situation, it just made sense to, to, you know, have tap him to be the CEO. And I sort of slid over and, and focused on the product and we're still, we're not, we're not quite done there yet. Although we have a lot of momentum um, in the market right now, and we're 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 sitting in a good spot to to roll out some pretty exciting stuff. It's been a lot of fun the last year and a half or two that he's been here. Yeah, that sounds, so he's been there a year or two. The decision wasn't light, you know. It was a thoughtful decision, obviously, with a lot of factors connected to it, but not like a a momentary light. Yeah, yeah. It was it wasn't like, hey, I need to go find a CEO. It was more of like, hey, how do we how do how does the business grow and scale and really capitalize on something that, that nobody's really paying attention to? And, and how can we, in the world of technology, it's first to market does have its advantages, but it's a lot easier to copy something once it's out <laughs> than to innovate something that doesn't exist. Right. And so, yeah, it just, it just worked out. We got, I think just again, right place, right time. And I think for just, I think it worked out because of my emotional and personal maturity as as a founder and, and understanding that I don't have to having to you know be it's not an ego thing uh, it's not a personal thing for me it's it's more of like how can the business be put in the right position to to accomplish great things nailed it when you said 
for the how do you separate yourself as the founder so that you become so infinitely especially the first right but also really anyone yeah what, what advice do you have for maybe some of those other founders who are considering it or maybe even considering it they think well, yeah. So, so part of my journey of, of today, you know, I, I did some consulting in between the cabinet thing and this. And so I worked with a lot of other companies, helping them create strategic growth plans and marketing plans. And, and so I saw what it was like when a founder was, was making all the decisions as the company was growing and going in a direction that they probably weren't, that wasn't their core skill set anymore of, of what the business needed to, to put it the right places in for scale. And so just seeing that too probably helped identify that. So I, I would say that, you know, when you're early adopt, when you're super early on, you have to be the one making those decisions. And, and when the product that you first roll out, your alpha product is never the product <laughs> that, that, that I've seen that ends up being the product that starts scaling. Right. And so the businesses go through different growth stages and spurts and need different guardians to shepherd them through those stages. And so when you're early on, it makes sense for you, you know, the founder, because they, they, they got to get the idea to market and prove product market fit. But at some point between that and the growth, that's where you need to really do a self-assessment and see what is your core skill set and what do you like to do? <laughs> what motivates you and where do you want to spend your time? Because there's a lot of stuff as a CEO that's just not fun stuff, you know, like having capital raising conversations all day long and, and trying to figure out comp plans and financials has absolutely nothing to do with the product. And it's not what it's all cracked up to be, to be, have the title of a CEO, uh, if that's not what your passion is. So. Uh, it's not all correct at all. I'm glad you brought up product and I'm glad that you landed in product because you, that, that's your mission. You have a high impact, right? It's like all the things that make you are. And that's great that you recognize that. So. You know, as, as you're looking at some of the challenges or opportunities you've had to overcome building products over the years, what are some of the things that, you know, you might be able to teach other folks as it relates to product challenges they might be? So I think, I think again, goes back to know your customer, right? And your customer is, so in our case, we, we, our customers are, are marketing agencies. Those are the people who pay us money. Typically, that's the majority of them. Um, and then they, they represent retailers and brands. However, the product that we build is, a, it's an, it's a automation marketing software that, that allows the agencies to, to manage locations and scale inventory at scale. So, so it's really their customer. Their customer is the retailer and the brand. So, so when you have a product like that, that's B2B2B, really the customer is the retailer. And so from day one, how this whole thing started was I actually went door to door to 500 retailers and, and started and, and did a little 30 minute to an hour long sort of consultative question, you know, marketing questionnaire with them. Like, and, and so I started every meeting with the same thing. What's your biggest marketing problem you're trying to solve today? And they all said the exact same thing. We were looking for new customers. We're looking for new customers. So when we set out to build this product, that that's what it was super focused on is showing that the value of bringing how many new customers have walked through your door today. And so inventory just happens to accelerate, but exponentially because of what I talked about earlier about it being indexed by Google. 
And so, so even though our customer is the agency, that's who's paying us, we stay very close to understanding the problems that the retailers are going through, knowing that if we can build a product and a tool that helps those retailers see value in the services that the agencies are, are doing for them and also the brands, then that's, then that's a product that will have a long shelf life. And so I think that that's, gets lost a lot with founders when they're building their product. They might understand like a problem at a high level, but you really need to understand it at a detailed level. And is there room for scale and like really knowing who that customer is and understanding your TAM and all that other stuff, but staying hyper-focused on, on the value that you're providing to your end customer and making sure your product focuses on that. Cause it's really easy to chase this, the shiny features that, that look cool and seem cool and that who's a founder or, or your team thinks that are super sexy, but don't actually drive the results that, <laughs> that the customers care about, right? And that's not just in the early stage either, right? I, you know, I so often see they're going into a growth stage, they've got this foundational revenue, they've got foundational customers. All of a sudden they do, right? One customer wants something or they get a great idea. Like, what about some of those folks that are, they have, call it three, five, ten million in revenue in their business and, and they're, they're the next great idea of what their product might be able to do without. Yeah, that's the danger, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. It all depends too what the TAM is. So what the total addressable market that your software is solving. If you're at that three, five, ten million and your TAM is, and you're done, you know, or, or you have a significant portion of it, but if you have 50% of of your addressable market, then you need to sort of look and say, Hey, is there another, is there another vertical? What can we do to accelerate this? You, you get into these danger zones if you completely change the business uh, model and the revenue model. So you may want to do some tests, but you have to talk to your customers. If you're going to make a significant change like that, make sure that it's either going to help your existing customers or if you're pivoting, you know, make sure that the TAM is big enough and the problem is big enough and that the adoption is there before you make such a, such a radical investment. And then too, what's helped us is if we're going to invest a quarter million dollars into building out the product, what's our expected revenue return over what time frame? right? Let's make sure that we have a specific, we tie the revenue back instead of just shiny, sexy numbers, make sure there's a revenue driver behind it. And that will help to, you know, sort of save you in wasteful time if there's not an immediate revenue play for the features that you're looking to build out. What if, what if I've got a $5 billion TAM in front of me? And so I've hit less, like 1% or less of my addressable market, but I'm just this most innovative founder ever. And I, and I know I can go build two great big companies or great big products at the same time, serving two very different great big markets. Say to me. So, so you're talking about DBA. Basically, the good thing about DBA is that we're in a hundred countries and we have over a million locations that have, that have synced up onto our platform. The downside to DBA is that we're in uh, 100 countries and we have over a million locations in completely different industry verticals. The timing for us when I met Chris, and that's why I'm saying the timing thing with COVID and toilet paper and all that, it sort of solidified, hey, this is the opportunity of all the stuff we have in front of us because we have everything from plumbers and tree trimmers and dentists and hospital systems and banks. And so everybody has a different need and a use case of, of how we could use our platform. But we just saw that, again, going back to Google, the way that Google works um, and seeing the the trend of the near me search thing, 
and seeing that the inventory was indexable, that made like it, it sort of clicked for us. That's content. Inventory is content. Google is a content machine. They love content. They can't get enough of it. And they figured out that that's trust. It's, it's content that more importantly, what Google cares about most users care about. So knowing that Google's motto of trying to make sure that their users get the most accurate information delivered to them, that's sort of how we strategically said, okay, we're going to plant our flag in the ground and go after go after retail inventory. It's been a problem that people haven't been able to, a really hard problem that not a lot of people have been able to solve. So I also like that, you know, the more difficult problem there is, the bigger moat you have and the bigger runway you can, you can, you can give yourself. So that's what I would say when you're fit to it, you got a billion dollar TAM, you don't have to rush and figure it out. Again, talk to your customers, take time, don't rush the decision. You can do tests, you can test different industries, different verticals. And then at some point you'll run into an opportunity where it's like, okay, like this is, there, there's, there's some runway. We're get, we're starting to get some traction here. We can see that there's some light here. Let's invest into this sector and see where, where it goes. And, and that's the path that we took. So wide, wide product offering, lots of different solutions, lots of different ver- verticals and going through that. How do I best deliver this message one? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So where, where are you guys at on that now? Have you decided to dive into, I know inventory is obviously core focus, but are you still pretty wide in some cases or do you throw that down? So we're, we're so, so the, there's a, our core tool set allows any industry to update. A, a big problem is updating your store hours across not just Google, Facebook, Apple, all that. That's a pretty, it's in our space, it's called listing management platforms. And there's a lot of competitors in that space. So that's sort of table stakes, but it's still a requirement, especially with st- holidays, seasonality, storms, the hurricane that was just here. People want to know, is the business open right now? When are they closing? And so, so our platform still provides those core services and functionality for, for any, any business. And so the more locations that you have to manage. The, the more complicated it is, the more time consuming it is. So our, our platform does a really, really good job of that sort of core functionality across the board. And we have a lightweight reputation management piece and everything, but really the focus now that we're trying to solve because of the, the near me problem and our connections with Google and, and our closeness working with them and some of our other partners like locally and Thumbstopper and some other really great agencies and brands. <clears throat> I think where we're in the, the best position to really solve that problem at, in a major way of helping retailers get their inventory online and helping brands promote those inventory pieces. And that's really our big, our big push here for next year is enab- unlocking the ability for a brand to advertise on behalf of the, those local uh, retailers of their inventory products. So, so that's the product that we're, we're going to be rolling out that we've got lots of pilots going on right now over the last six months and they continue to roll out and we're collecting, you're going to start seeing case studies and, and things of the impact that inventory online ha- has and, and how the brands can finally participate. So you mentioned some pretty high power partnerships, right? Google, Thumbstopper, locally, all partnering with DBA. Is that the main, is it the main go to market is, is all via channel partners or do you guys go to market direct as well? 
We we do go direct, but it originally was uh, was through channel partners, through agencies. Like I mentioned earlier, I went door to door to 500 and I realized really quickly after the 500th one that there's no way that I can physically go and talk to every business owner in the world. So that's when we sort of pivoted to like, hey, let's let's start with the agencies and the channel partners to get the word out. Uh, so so we reduce I, that is definitely a big part of our model. But also, you know, this is another advice to founders. What the great thing about local, our relationship with locally is they've been very tried and true to what their product is and what they're trying to focus on. And we've sort of done the same thing of here's the lane of what we're going to do and what we're going to focus on. Um, and so locally the, ha, has a lot of really great connections with directly with POS systems and retailers and brands and our connections with Google and all the distribution, you know, marketing platforms is where we sort of work well together. So that's still a big part of our model. We're not going to turn brands away if they want to come to us direct, if they're big enough. And so that's, that's another change we did is like typically work with larger agencies that have thousands of locations that they manage because that's where you're going to get the real value out of our platform. But yeah, that's still, that's still the focus is on our channel partnerships. I want to take a break away from the business just to go sure. to, uh, to the story that I'm sure folks have been like really wanting to hear more about from my interest, which is you do a lot of stuff outside of the business too, right? Which nor a founder has to do in order to stay sane. They've got to live their own life outside of the business as well. You just got back from a trip to Alaska. You go on a lot of adventures. You caught giant fish, which is not the biggest you've ever caught. That's a little bit about like how you, how you find time and how you make the time to do really fun, adventurous things away. So I'm glad you, you asked that, Jim, because I, I was talking to some young founders the other day and they, they sort of had this same question about work-life balance. And so Alaska is my annual trip. I've been doing it for almost 10 years now. And I actually completely shut off. I disconnect. I don't even bring up, I don't even, I don't even have cell service there. So I try not to, to get online at all while I'm in Alaska. And it's, it's really good just to sort of separate the, you get caught up in the minutia, but the halibut was, it was almost like a Jaws moment. My brother was with me and uh, it came up and I knew it was big because it, it was just, I couldn't get it off the ground. It was like, wasn't, I, it wasn't coming up. And when I got it to the boat, the thing was like almost the size of the boat and we had a harpoon on board <laughs> and when he stuck it with the harpoon, it took the float down immediately back down 300 feet. And I was like, oh gosh, it's gone. <laughs> uh, and it took another 45 minutes to get it back in the boat. And, and it was, it was quite the, quite the rush, but it's, uh, it, it is, you know, it is, I, I do work seven days a week, all lots of crazy hours. I don't really pay attention anymore. It's just part of my life. At the end of every year, I look back and assess how well I did at the work-life balance thing. And so it is baked in now where I do monthly try to do little trips where I'll take off a Friday and, and a Saturday and Sunday. So, so that's worked really, really well. I've all, it's also taken me probably five to 10 years now where I've completely mobilized my life. I used to have three screens, the desktop computer and crunch and spreadsheets. And, and but over the last five to 10 years, I've gotten, I've set it up now to where I can be, I can work anywhere in the world. And I can take my meetings and, and a lot of that's because of the teams that I've built over the last 10 years where I don't have to be the, the behind the screen crunching the spreadsheets anymore. So I'm just at a place in my life now where I don't have to have the screen space. 
I can do everything I need to do from the laptop or the phone. And, and that is through just taking a hard self look at your, where your time is going and being your own cr- critic about it. And, and you have to, you absolutely have to, it's a must. You have to enjoy life. I, I love the work, but our lives are very short. We're only here for a very small time on this earth. And I don't want to be one of those guys that waits until I can't enjoy it. So I've, I'm enjoying it all the way through. Avid diver, fisherman, and there's nothing more peaceful. I feel like I get the most, my, most of my creativity when I'm out in the ocean because <clears throat> I'm, I'm just allowing my mind to get out of the details that, that sometimes consume us and don't give us the ability to have perspective. The old saying, you can't see the forest through the trees, right? So that's the benefit of time. It'll give you more perspective on what it is you're doing. So you mentioned your brother who you both travel with and work with at, at DBA. How, you know, I've, I've always thought about wanting to go in business with my younger brother when he's a little older. And I know of others who've, who've had great, you know, great experiences working together. What, how, what's that like working with your brother? It's what you probably would think of it in the beginning, very frustrating. I think it works well for us. There's a big age gap. And so he's learning a lot. He's, he's coming up. I'm, I'm very proud of, of his ability and his skill sets that he's learned over the last few years. He's, he's doing really, really well. He's, his communication skills are getting better and better every, every month. And the best part about it is that, uh, and the best advice I can give you is that he's not my direct report. And so when, once we made that change, the relationship got, got much better. Um, so now I can be more of a mentor and guidance and, and give him critical insight and suggestions without having to like hold him accountable for the day to day work. So, so it keeps the relationship brotherly and, and still we get to enjoy some of the, the benefits as the businesses and su- succeeding. We get to uh, celebrate those wins together. So it's, it's really, really cool. And if you're in an environment where you don't have to be their direct report, I highly recommend it. Very. I mean, keeping things familial definitely keeps them interesting. He, and he's on the revenue side of the business. You're on the product side of the business. Where those two businesses meet, obviously, in a lot of areas, but pricing being one of them, right? And I know that pricing is something that you guys have put a lot of thought, a lot of energy into as you've evolved and some lessons learned there as well. What, what are some, what are some things that you've gone through in pricing your product? So the, you know, when we first started our, the very first product we built our, we, we, we thought, you know, again, being young, naive founders, you're like, oh, look at our TAM. This is a billion dollar TAM. We priced it at $1 per month per location thinking if we can get, oh, well, we'll easily get a million locations on this and then all pay us a dollar. And so then, so that's what we did. And, and it, 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 we didn't get millions of people paying us, but we got hundreds and thousands. And then we launched our next product. We're like, well, let's chart, make a dollar for that, you know? And, and then so fast forward after like 12 products, then we had enough to make a package, right? And so then it went to like $10 a location. And so it's just the evolution, I think, of your product and like understanding the value and the, the, what, again, what the customers are willing to pay and what impact it's having on the problem that they're trying to solve. So if we, have, you know, you have a local pizza shop and, and they start using your software and you can show that, Hey, you had a, another 20 phone calls and 20 visits to your website this month. I mean, 
based on what their average ticket is, their pizza cost, and their, what are they going to be willing to pay for that? And so we did a lot of those conversations, right? And, and, be, and again, because we're in so many different verticals, that answer changed a lot. So it's being, it's no, again, knowing your customer and then, and then knowing because we have the B2B where we sell it to agencies and partners, they have to make money too. So t- it's talking to them and seeing what can they sell it for? What gives the most value? To, and it's not just landing the sale, right? Like one of the big things is churn, like keeping them paying. So like making sure your product does that too. It can't just show them growth day one, but it's got to show continual growth and continual value. And so we, we have these conversations a lot. And, and as you get bigger clients, their service offering and how they provide your product pricing has to fit into their model too. And so you have to be flexible and have, and don't be afraid to have the conversations. And so we do a lot of pilots, uh, whenever we're, we're, we're launching new things or having new ideas where, where there's a, a monetary revenue commitment once we sort of learn and understand what the impact is. And then we sort of work together with our, our partners to, so that they can make money and their, their clients can make money and, and we can make money. So having those open conversations with your customers and your partners and not being afraid to, to change it up. And it, it's, it, so I, I'd say that's the best advice I can give when it comes to pricing. And, and it's something that we change Every month, we're, we're constantly tweaking it to to create better value and scale. Because pricing could also sometimes we definitely undervalued our our product in the beginning, but it allowed us to scale and grow a lot of like customers and learn a lot of from data. And so there's a, a value there too in the learnings and what you can do when you acquire data. Yeah, just keeping an open mind and having conversations with the customer. You can't you can't ever stop having the conversations with the customers. It's the bottom line. So figure out what your strategy is around pricing, figure out the customer's willingness to pay, right? Much. And connect that to the strategy. You know, really want data. Obviously that's going to change, shift it somewhat, but putting everything in the, everything for a dollar, uh, is, uh, is hard to unwind. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the power of bundles, right? So like we, when you're selling an individual feature for a dollar, that's one thing. But when you have, the bundle, so the power of everything. Then, in, then it and, and look at in our space, there was a lot of saturation in the listing management space. So we tried to build products that hadn't already been built yet around that, and and knowing that there weren't, we we couldn't compete with those other companies that had a more that a, a bigger product and a bigger offering. So so we knew that we weren't going to get people to switch to our platform unless we could at least compete with what they were offering. So we had to start somewhere. And I guess that's another advice to early founders. Don't be afraid to just start charging something because you got to prove that what you have is valuable, right? And so that was sort of our deal. It's like, hey, let's just at least get a credit card on file and we'll figure out how we can change it later. Let's start collecting feedback and, and at least have the ability to roll out an upcharge and upsell, right? So that was the, that was sort of our strategic price move. Yeah, and that's part of the bundle, whether it's product, as part of a bundle or companies as part of a bundle service, you know, one of the bundles we, we, you know, we actually did a lot of the service work on it as, you know, and the agencies would farm it out to us. So yeah, the bundling stuff will help accelerate revenue too. One plus one equals 3,000. <laughs> That's right. Great. Right. So uh, to close off each of these shows, 
we, uh, we do what I call the Founder Five, which is just this series of fire questions all about your growth, Trevor, and then founder and, and company driver, right? Um, the first one is the number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly. Huh. Well, I mean, new bookings and, and churn, that's the lifeblood. I would say like as a founder, those, those are probably the two most important. On the product side, my day-to-day, it's like the amount of client where we're at today, it's, it's all around like chat response time. One of our things that we try to respond to everyone within five seconds. So we don't want people to get stuck at doing what they're trying to do. We know that our customers are marketing agencies. Their time is very valuable. So we want to make sure that, that, they're, that our product is useful to them. So chat response time is, is also a big one on my product side that we look at and, and time to close support tickets. From a company perspective, it's new bookings and churn. Well, if I am never using your product and it takes six seconds, I'm calling you. <laughs> no problem. Okay. Uh, second one, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. I mean, I, I probably said it way too many times already, but just know your customers. I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I talked to a lot of guys just getting started and they don't even know who their customer is yet. They have an idea pr- trying to solve a problem. But if you don't know who your customer is and you don't know what your, then that means you don't know your monetization model and you don't have to in the beginning, but like when you're ready to raise money or actually invest, so build, build a product and invest some single money, like you got to know your customer. You know, it's so crazy. I read this, this study and it was like a year ago. Sorry for the sidebar, but it was about KYC and someone was doing a survey on KYC and it was about like 70% of when people said KYC. What did you think of as it related? Spell it out for your customer. 70% related to the KYC in the fintech with financial, knowing your customer, like from the, from the regulatory point, less than 30% were actually knowing because <laughs> you like your customer is something that people need a constant reminder of. Yeah. Yeah. Especially founders in the tech. Because it's so easy to get enamored by technology and the cool things it does. But so easy. It's so easy. Brilliant founder. Yeah. All that. <laughs> all right. Uh, favorite or podcast that's helped you as a Oh, geez. I don't, I don't know if I can flag one. When I read books and podcasts, I'm just typically looking for like little, little nuggets of inspiration and insight, you know, so there's, I wouldn't say that there's one in particular. I can tell you the, the, the book that I just recently read that I thought was very life enlightening. I give you a different perspective was that Peter Zahian, the end of the world is just the beginning. He's definitely gives you a different perspective on the world and, and why decisions are made. That's not really based on politics at all. So it's, raw data and it's so i would say that that's the most interesting one i've had read in a while so yeah is that one around like the study of cycles and and things along the yeah population yeah Um, and and you know like he his other book that he wrote he predicted the the russia invasion based on the population and it wasn't political it was just purely population of the leaders and they needed to make it do something otherwise that was it was going to be done so it's very interesting 
you know, his study that he, that he talks about on the population. All right. We'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. All right. Last door, a little bit unconventional. What actor would play you in a movie? Woof. Hmm. That's a good one. Oh boy. I guess it would be Matt Damon would be a good one. That dude, all the different places in the world that he travels, all the different things that he does. I think that would be a, a, a good one. He's very versatile. Uh, never in the same spot, always doing something new. That would probably be a good one. I love that. Yeah. I don't know. For whatever reason, when I asked the question, I also got like these real river Phoenix vibes. And that could be just because you're. <laughs> Totally. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yep. That's another great one. Nice. Nice. All right. Last one is what is going to be the title of your autobiography when all is said and done? Oh, boy. More of a something I probably say all the time is almost there. Always trying to, I I, I always move that too. So nothing is ever, we never get there. (laughs) So I would, I'd probably say almost there and just all of the, all of the adventures that go along with it, that uh, never satisfied with, with the last one. It's always on to the next. Almost there with like a disappearing title that then reappears another part of the book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Trevor, you've given a ton to listeners today. So thanks, first off. But I also like to allow for a little bit of self-promotion just because you've been so giving with your time. How can those listening help you out? Look, we're, we're on the mission to solve the inventory problem. I think that with all the economical downturn, local businesses more than anything are, have been getting pummeled. And so that's who, those are our customers. Those are the guys that we're trying to help. So if you're a local retailer and you have inventory, we want to help you. And if you're a brand and you're trying to help promote your local retailers, we want to help you do that. So, so those are the two, those are the two ways that we're, those are the two problems that we're trying to solve. And that's what we're hyper-focused on. So if there's anyone out there that, that know whether you're a small retailer or a large chain, you know, thousands of locations or hundreds. We want to help you solidify your place in the digital. It's it's really hard. You waste lots of money. It's the most, I haven't even talked about the ROI on it, but the cheapest thing you can do for the maximum benefit is get your inventory plugged up online. You're going to see exponential growth there. So that's what we're looking looking to solve right now. Or, or if you're in the space, like as a channel partner, and you represent and have lots of retailers or brands that um, you work with that, that are, have to or haven't done executed on this stuff before. We we do have some of these um, special programs that you mentioned with Google, where we can get inventory instantly verified and online, so we can bypass a lot of the heartache and problems that the, it's a it's a very cumbersome process for most people to deal with. So, yeah, guys, I've seen this this, this shit works. I mean, it, <laughs> uh, it's powerful. You know, it gets more powerful in some of the partnerships you've got as well. And I look forward to seeing some awesome success coming out of DBA long-term. So Trevor, you guys are rocking it. Thanks for giving your time. What's the best way to get in touch with you? They do. uh... Yeah. Best way just LinkedIn probably or Trevor, a DBA platform is the easiest. Those are the two things. I'm not big on social media. If you want to check out what's going on, we do lots of webinars. We do lots of off the team does lots of office hours, but me personally, you can shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. 
Perfect. I'll uh, we'll get those in the show notes. If you even want, to, you'll probably go visit him in Alaska once a year. You just aren't going to get a hold of him unless you find a hundred fifty pound house. Hundred percent. Thanks again, man. Pleasure. Thanks, Jim. See you, buddy. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.